Episode 95, What's Keeping You Up at Night? You're listening to The Game Changers with Jason Jennings. Leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention. Now, here's worldwide best-selling author and speaker, Jason Jennings, and your host, Dale Dixon. Welcome to The Game Changers. I'm your host, Dale Dixon. This is the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential with Jason Jennings, New York Times, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today bestselling author of eight books on leadership, growth, innovation, speed, reinvention. Jason, great to be with you today. Dale, I've been looking forward to this one, and it's great to be with you too. I was going to say, I'm, I've, when we recorded episode 93, you said, hey, I'd like some help from the listeners where I, I'm going to work on a new book, and I'm going to ask the listeners the question. starts off the conversation and gives so much insight into your clients as you go through the interview process and you learn about your clients because one of the favorite lines that I learned from you is that prescription without diagnosis is malpractice. And so you always work to fully know a client. But the question is what's keeping you awake at, at night these days? We asked the listeners that back in 93, and what's happened to your email inbox since asking that question? Well, uh, within 24 hours, I took a walk into my office, and I opened up Outlook, and I went, oh, my God, what's happening? It's a nuclear holocaust. I mean, the my inbox was full, and I really try to keep a very, very clean inbox. So in response to the question, uh, what's keeping you awake at night these days about your business, uh, we've had several hundred responses. Uh, I've not had an opportunity. Uh, everybody will uh, get a personal response from me. I've not had a chance to respond to uh, to everyone. And, and for people who are joining us, listeners who are joining us for the first time, let me give a little context. I believe that the most magical question uh, you can ask anyone is, uh, is what's keeping you awake at night these days about your business? Because when they tell you, then you will learn how you can help them. And if you can help them, then you become a hero for the rest of time. And so uh, all of my books uh, have been based on asking the question, uh, what's keeping you awake at night these days about your business about a thousand times a year in interviews with CEOs, company owners, leading and highly successful entrepreneurs. So the question we posed was, what's keeping you awake at night these days about your business? And should I just jump in and begin reading some of these? I would say, yeah, let's dive in and learn. Okay. Have you seen some consistency in the answers or did was there any surprise? Yeah, there were a couple of uh, pleasant surprises. So obviously I, we can't relate to all couple of hundred or several hundred emails in one podcast. So what I did is I tried to have a geographic representation from Asia, from India, from Europe, from the U.S., from Canada. And yeah, you asked me if there's any commonality. Yes. And, and let's talk about that at the end. There is one issue that uh, raised its head in, I would say, 70 or 80 percent of the emails that I got back. But then there were some very surprising ones. Uh, in fact, let's begin with uh, with a surprising one. Now, what I'm going to do, because I don't want to embarrass anybody, most of the emails come with company names. But some of the emails could be seen as possibly being critical of the companies that they work with. So I don't want to say, you know, John from IBM. So I'm, I'm going to say John from from a tech company. And, and so I'm going to give the industry category, but I'm not going to mention the specific names. Maybe people would want me to use the specific names. I'm not sure, but I don't want to run the risk of embarrassing anyone. Uh, so th this first one comes from Nick 
in Asia, and all I will say is the pharmaceutical business. And this one uh, came in a couple of days ago, and it says, Hey, Jason, loved the latest podcast and have spent the last few days thinking of the biggest challenge in my company, and I had a eureka moment. Let me tell you what it is. Logic is our challenge. Logic in companies like Boston Consulting Group and McKinsey. Logic, he says, is why companies end up with way too many policies and procedures which paralyze an organization. I believe the goal of business is to make the world a better place for everyone. That means we need to defy logic, not follow it. The world needs more leaders who see a future that they want to create. I have tons of examples of where logic has been the wrong solution. So I look forward to a book where you talk about using logic in an ill-advised way. I think that one's pretty interesting, don't you? Absolutely, and it falls right in line with the story that you tell. And you told in just uh, within the last few podcasts about the question that you ask the front row when you speak, who here is a rational person? And no, everybody, a reasonable person. A reasonable person. Uh, which, yes, and everybody, and, and everybody raises their hands because everybody wants to be seen as being reasonable. And you really want to be an unreasonable person. So, As George Bernard Shaw said, for any change of any value, look to the unreasonable man or the unreasonable woman because the reasonable person will go along with whatever they find. The unreasonable man or woman will force the world to conform to their vision of the way things ought to be. Uh, so I think this is a great one. Logic is our challenge. Logic and companies like Boston Consulting Group and McKinsey. Uh, so I thought that was a fascinating one. Let's, um, let's go to India. This is Rajiv from India in the hospitality industry, whose company was just ranked number five among the top 15 hotel brands in the world. And Rajiv said, here's my issues. What keeps me awake at night? Retaining our key talent, retaining our key customers, and increasing market share. And, you know, I look at that, and over the years, I've, I've looked out at groups that I'm working with many times, and I've asked the question, what is the purpose of business? And, uh, and I asked them to think about it for a few minutes. And then invariably, people start raising their hands and they say, well, the purpose of business is to make money. And I point out the folly of that response to them, because if you say the purpose of business is to make money, uh, what you're in essence saying is that anything is fair game and you'll do anything to make money if the only reason for being in business is to make money. What it really comes down to is it comes down to finding keeping and growing the right customers. And you can only do that by finding, keeping, and retaining the key talent. And one of the offshoots of that is increasing market share. Uh, so I think Rajiv just absolutely nails it. And it was a recurrent theme in the emails that we received of finding key talent. So let me uh, turn the page. I actually printed some of these out. Jason, here's an interesting one. Uh, Atlanta, Georgia. I love your podcasts. Here's what keeps me up at night. Our CEO has checked out due to a buyout agreement, and our next level of leadership has taken an every-person-for-themselves posture. To compound matters, we seem to be taking an anti-millennial posture because they do not share the old-school values of our baby boomer leadership. That's Josh, Atlanta. And Josh, actually touches on a, on a few real common themes that I've seen in business. I call people who have decided to leave short-timers. And my advice uh, and guidance is this. When somebody decides that they're going to be leaving at some point in the future, uh, they should actually be showing the door 
now. When somebody, I, I remember sitting in a CEO's office. And in fact, I write about this in one of my books. And uh, the CEO had one of the most gorgeous pictures of a sailboat, an oil painting of a sailboat hanging in one wall. And I said, what's that? And he said, that's my boat. And I said, uh, where is it? And he said, it's up in Massachusetts. I said, how often uh, do you get up to see your boat? We were down in the southern part of the United States. And he said, not often enough. He said, but you know, I'm going to be out of here in about 18 months. Well, you know what? That guy was doing that company no favor because for the next 18 months, he'd be sitting in his office looking at the picture of his sailboat and he would be afraid to take any big initiatives. It would be an attitude of don't rock the ship until I'm gone. And so when a CEO or a leader checks out uh, emotionally or is going to be checking out physically, the greatest favor they can do is leave as quickly as possible so the organization can get it on. Because what happens in the absence of strong leadership, what happens is it's everybody for themselves. I always tell uh, people uh, that I'm consulting and teaching that every organization has a culture. And it's one of two cultures. Either it's the culture that the ownership and the leadership want the organization to have and work on it full time, 100% of their time. And if they don't, a culture exists by default. And the only culture that ever exists by default is every person out for themselves. And then this other issue that Josh in Atlanta mentions is this anti-millennial posture because they do not share the same old values of our baby boomer leadership. And in many respects... I, when I'm thinking about millennials, I think of uh, Max Planck, the famous mathematician. I think I invoked him once here on a podcast. And this uh, Nobel Award winning mathematician went on to conclude uh, it became Planck's dictum. And it is for any progress to be made, the old people have to die. You know, I'm getting a little tired of this. People constantly saying, uh, I mean, millennials don't dress like us. Millennials don't talk like us. Millennials don't share our work ethic. Millennials don't share our values. Uh, you you got to work with what you have. And millennials are completely different than baby boomers. And maybe it's the baby boomer culture that has to die. Maybe it's not the millennial culture that has to conform to the way things baby boomers believe they ought to be. This one is really worthy of a lot of further discussion. All right, let's go to uh, Jeff. Jeff came up with uh, a great phrase I'd never heard before, and I want to know if you heard it, uh, Dale. Uh, but here's what he says. I love the podcasts and your books. Keep up the great work. I dream of working for the kind of company you write about in your books. In the meantime, and I, very insightful, in the meantime, as a leader, I work hard to implement the principles you outline, and I find encouragement to do what I can within the boundaries I work in. I, oh, and by the way, I, I could not tell from Jeff's email address what industry he's in. Uh, you're spot on, and it's something I hear from peers and other organizations, engaging and hiring the right people. He writes, and this is a growing problem in the United States, political candidates would have everybody believing that the, the United States is going to Hades in a handbasket. But Jeff writes, unemployment in our area is 2.7%. We have gone from new hire orientation every three months to 10 to 12 new hires every month. And he said turnover has been created by, number one, retirements, which he calls, and I love this phrase, I'd never heard it, the silver tsunami. Number two, right people, right work ethic. People don't obey the attendance policies and they don't show up for work on time. It doesn't work. Number three, the competitive landscape, lots of economic growth, losing people to other manufacturers who are looking for the next best thing and for job promotions. 
He said, I knew the answer to your question as soon as I heard it. It is a constant dialogue for us in all departments. So thank you for soliciting feedback, and I look forward to hearing from you. Had you ever heard the phrase silver tsunami before? I have not, but boy, I wrote that one down. That's a good one. I mean, that's really a takeaway, really good stuff. And so then there was an, a one-word email I received, and uh, it stood out by the absence of lots of words, and it was from Mike in uh, Toronto. So let's head to Toronto, and Mike says, people. And uh, that's all he wrote, people with an exclamation point. So I'm I'm guessing that Mike uh, in Toronto is referring to um, finding, engaging, and keeping people. Somebody once told me, uh, wouldn't it be great if I could run this company without any people? Obviously, you can't do that. So uh, people is a recurrent theme in many of these. Let's go to, um, I'm guessing, oh, this is, uh, this is India. His name is Ankush. And he is a marketing global head of the global campus hiring team. I'm, I'm not going to give the company again because I, I don't want to embarrass him. To me, what's the single biggest issue uh, in business? It's all about people. And number one, our, and this was made me think too, our speed of response to speed of change happening around us in business, society, and people. So our speed of response to the speed of change happening around us in business, everything is happening faster and faster and faster and faster. And how do you respond to things so fast? And uh, on Kush ads, uh, love the uh, love the podcasts every week. Uh, let's come back to the United States and Mary from Chicago, who works in HR says it is a challenge. We, okay, our company has 3,500 employees, and the biggest single issue that I see is our inability to actively engage the majority of these people in what they are doing. In fact, we have almost blown off engagement as a non-issue and pay no attention to it because we don't know how to engage people. And I always go back, and we've talked about this repeatedly, people should go back and uh, review the titles of the podcast, and they can go and find the numbers. But the reality is, and it's kind of like how many times do you have to be hit over the head uh, with a hammer to acknowledge it, in every recent poll, including the Gallup poll of the, of the American workplace, more than two-thirds of workers say that they are not engaged or actively disengaged in their jobs. And how long, you know, my, my grandmother told me something when I was a young kid, she said, don't ever point your finger at anybody because the mere act of pointing your finger at somebody means that three of your fingers are pointing back at yourself and you're the one who's responsible. And so we must not continue to point our fingers and say, it's the workers, it's the people. They are not engaged. The challenge is you've got to own it. Uh, what are you doing or what are you not doing to engage them? And today I picked out a couple more. Pamela, Washington, D.C., she's in the education space, and she said, I haven't really heard you talk about this on any of your podcasts, but I worry about it all the time. Our company is still lily white. We talk about a need for diversity. We talk about a need to look like our customers, and we simply don't. It seems to me that sometimes we talk about diversity but we're actually doing nothing about it. That's Pamela Washington, D.C. in the educational space. And I would just say this. 
diversity. Uh, there have been several times uh, over the past decade out there doing those 60 to 80 speeches a year. There have been a handful of times where I've stood on stage. I remember uh, Johnson & Johnson Consumer. I remember Strayer Education, the private university. Those are two that stand out in my mind where I walked out on the stage in front of, you know, a thousand or two thousand or three thousand people. And I said to myself, oh, my God, I can't believe this. I actually got, I remember the Johnson and Johnson consumer speech I gave. I lost my words. I had nothing to say. I stood there and looked at the audience and I thought, oh, my God, these people, these couple of thousand people jamming this atrium for this speech look exactly like their customers. And so I have a working hypothesis that diversity is not only the right thing to do, it is also the profitable thing to do. It is just good business to make certain that your company looks like your customers. But I'll tell you what, everybody talks about diversity. Very, very few companies actually do anything about diversity. I mean, they, they talk the game, and I actually, I'll go one step further. I believe their head's in the right place, and I think their hearts are in the right place. They want a diverse workforce, but it's almost like they don't know how or where to begin. So it becomes one of these issues that is talked about all the time, and what I would urge people to remember is everything that you're going to do requires, and now I'm going to sound like some new age guru saying be present. But my observation is anything that you're going to get done, growth, diversity, engagement, whatever you're going to get done requires intentionality. You must be intentional. It is not enough to talk about it. And I'll wrap it up this way. And, and we'll get to some more of these uh, readers' emails because I think I'm going a little bit late. Uh, but several years ago, I was uh, doing a conference in upstate New York for a group of four or 500 bankers at Lake George. And I guess I was scheduled to give the closing presentation at maybe 10.30 or 11 o'clock in the morning. They were going to break about noon. And so I wandered in about an hour later. And I don't remember the college professor, the woman who was speaking, but she was talking about innovation. And she said, how many of you want your banks to be more innovative? And of course, every hand in the room went up. She said, how many of you have regular meetings of your top leadership? And every hand goes up. She said, how many of you have an agenda for those meetings? Every hand goes up. She said, how many of you have innovation on the agenda? Every hand goes up. And she said, in how many of those agendas is innovation one of the last issues on the agenda? In an embarrassing fashion, every hand went up. And she said, and do any of you ever finish all of your agenda items? Every hand went up. And she said, as long as you keep placing innovation at the end of the agenda, you're going to run out of steam in the meeting. You're never going to get to it. So don't stand here or sit here and tell me that innovation is important if it's the last thing on your list. And that's where I invoke the word, you have to be intentional. And so if, what was her name again? Pamela from Washington, D.C., uh, diversity and looking like our customers until something becomes intentional in your organization, nothing's going to happen. And let me just uh, do one more quickly because you asked me if I found common themes this is from Dennis. He's in the technology space in Milpitas, California. He says, millennials and their lack of a work ethic, how do we get them on board? Uh, I disagree that millennials don't have a work ethic. I think they respond in different ways to different things. And I think we've talked about it in the past. I think we'll be talking about it in the future. So there are some of the highlights of the several hundred emails that bombarded my inbox uh, in, the, uh, in the last couple of weeks. So whether it was 
Josh or Jeff or Mike or Ankush or Mary or Pamela, Nick, Raghib, it was most of it had to do with talent. That sounds like the uh, consistent. Yeah. And I, I guess I'm not going to give anything away today, but I guess, Dale, that's where I'm getting pulled. It is cracking the code, people. Yes. We are going a little long on this episode, but it has been fascinating to really hear from the listeners and get in deep. And, and I'll let you go ahead and uh, and wrap this up by by just telling folks how you handle email and, and that uh, you said at the beginning, but everybody should expect to get some kind of a response back. It'll be brief. Yes. Yeah, my rule, it's now 16 years ago. I, I didn't realize this until the other day. It's been 16 years since my first book. It's not the big that eat the small, it's the fast that eat the slow came out and became a New York Times bestseller. And obviously that was a big life changer. And I remember uh, starting to receive some emails from people who had bought and read the book. And, and I responded to them. And then I started getting more and more emails and I was responding to them. And I sat down one day and I thought, you know what, this is, you know, how many people write you? How many people take the time to seek you out and, and find your email address and, and send you an email? And, and if anybody does, they're certainly worthy of a response. And so my rule that I made 16 years ago was that if somebody sends me an email, they're going to hear back from me. I'm probably not going to be able to write pages, but I am going to get back to them. In the instance of our asking the question, what keeps you awake at night these days about business, people are going to have to give me a little breathing room, please. It's a very, very busy time and uh, lots of speeches coming up and lots of preparation for them. But I'm going to get back to everyone and acknowledge their response and share some thoughts with them. And it's safe to say you've read every one as it comes in. So... Uh, everyone, everyone, uh, everyone, everyone. And we'll share some more. I mean, going forward, this is, this isn't the end of it, but, uh, as I said, I just wanted to have a kind of a mixed geographic representation for this one and my email address, Dale, and then you can wrap it up. Uh, my email address is Jason at Jason dash Jennings.com. And yes, I, I still have fulfilled the promise of getting back to everybody. All right. Thank you so much. This was fascinating. Jason Jennings is the author who USA Today calls one of the three most in-demand business speakers in the world. To find out how you can arrange to have Jason keynote your next event or leadership conference and learn about his fees and availability, check out the website jason-jennings.com and click on the contact button. Follow those instructions and uh, the folks there with Jason Jennings will get back in touch with you quickly. This is The Game Changers, the podcast dedicated to leading highly principled people to their full potential. Make it a great week. You've been listening to The Game Changers, leadership lessons in speed, productivity, growth, innovation, and reinvention with business thought leader, best-selling author, and keynote speaker, Jason Jennings. Read Jason's most recent New York Times bestseller, The Reinventors, and visit his website at jason-jennings.com. Dot com.